Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the official Tennis.com podcast featuring professional coach and community leader, Kamal Murray. Welcome to the Tennis.com podcast. We are in the midst of an exciting Indian Wells. Indian Wells that lacks Novak, lacks Rafa, lacks Fed. Who knows what's going to happen? What we do know is that Neil Medvedev is doing what he does best, what we're starting to expect from him. We've got Taylor Fritz, a California boy, playing well, feeling right at home in the Sunshine State. We've got TP, Tommy Paul, doing what we all know he can do. On the women's side, we've got Shelby Rogers following up her great performance at the U.S. Open with another stellar performance at Indian Wells. We've got the emergence of Paula Bedosa kicking ass and taking names. And we have got Vika, Victoria Azarenka, resurgence after her injury in Chicago. And speaking of Vika, she's one of our guests on this week's podcast. This week's episode features Victoria Azarenka, Isla Tomjanovic, talking about the roles between being a player and having to sit in stance and, and, and play the role of cheerleader, supporting her boo, Matteo Berrettini. And we've got the always entertaining, always one of my favorite people to sit down with, Sloan Stevens talking about life on tour, advice to the next generation, and trying to turn the tables on me, asking me a few questions. Stay tuned for this week's episode of the Tennis.com podcast. You don't want to miss it. Welcome to the Tennis.com podcast. We have got the legendary future Hall of Famer, Grand Slam champion, great dancer as well, (laughs) Victoria Azarenka. I thought you were, you forgot my name there for a second. No, 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 no. <laughs> well, you, know, you got like all these nicknames. I got, you know, which, which nickname yeah, should I use? Exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah, I brought up the dancing. Remember last year when Charleston, when it was raining and you were dancing? I was dancing? Do, yes. Do you want to talk about t- the full story of that? <laughs> Go ahead. Tell the full story. Um, yes, I was dancing for TikTok because I was just fresh off the quarantine. I mean, it's kind of. It was our first kind of event and I was super into TikTok so I was like trying to you know make it fun coming back but then um the last day do you remember that that story I'm talking about and I I was hoping the tennis channel did have some footage of it (laughs) where I started to be a DJing and your and your and your you remember (laughs) and your eyes went just what did I play? Because I played an explicit version of one song and everybody starts to freak out because it was on TV. Yes. But uh, I wish some people had some, some footage of that, <laughs> of that, of that moment because it was pretty funny. I know. I think you and I, like, when you put it on, you and I locked eyes and were like, oh, my. And everyone else was like, oh, my God, oh, my God. I was yeah, like, stop it's not me. Stop. I was like, no, you're not stopping that. Like, you cannot stop the vibe (laughs) people loved it but the tv tv people were like a bit on their toes but i think it was cool moment for tennis away from the dj booth (laughs) no no i I think i did good (laughs) i'll stand by that (laughs) i enjoyed it i mean we were like first they started playing blame it on the rain which was was lame yeah then they turned on the lights for the stadium and i think it was like well you know okay we might as well make it a party yeah well the purple rain was a hit Purple Rain. Uh, purple Rain was a hit with all the purple lights, so yes. it was, you know what, like, I wish that we brought some more of that vibes to an actual tournament, because that was really, like, I think for for, for a while I haven't seen that camaraderie with all the girls, like, playing for with a team, and it was it was super fun. It was one of my, actually, my favorite events. And, and I think that we talk about, like, your personality, like, Danielle Collins, like if we just allow the personalities to take over, yeah. we could grow our sport. Oh, because yeah. I think, especially for girls, it's like one of the greatest sports. Female tennis players make more money than any other, you know, yeah. on average, female athletes. 
-hmm. But if we allow them to come out and be crazy and be wild and say what they want to say without being so guarded, we could raise the level of this sport globally. Yeah, I think it's more about just allowing to be yourself. And I think there is a progress for women that is happening now where breaking certain walls and boundaries where you're not told what to do. Unfortunately, in society, it still happens a lot. But in our sport, I think being number one sport in the leading sport uh, in, women, in, in women, we have the ability to kind of lead this way and allow uh, players to be who they are. And I think we partly do, but I think the society is catching up on. And those you know, moments when that happened, I think we can make a bigger deal out of, uh, out of them in a good way, because that's, I think that's fun, that's entertaining, that's where sport is about, is about entertainment. There is a competition uh, uh, to it, but we are entertainers. And I think the more we take it that way, it's gonna be more exciting because generations change, the viewers change, and we need to keep up with updating, updating a bit the sport, and, and I'm all up for it. Yeah, I would say sometimes I think we forget that we're selling a product, yeah. and the product is mano a mano competition, but you are always one of the ones where people line up to see. I remember back in the day, you used to have your little French braid. Yeah, your they're French here. I just they're just out of control, so I put my hoodie. On. <laughs> <laughs> they're always here, and it's actually funny. I was thinking today, I was like, I have my my braids, but they're so long and they're so heavy. I'm like, I was about to like cut them off today, and I was like, okay, don't do it. People people know me for those. People you know, know you for the right? braids, the French braids. <laughs> I was like, maybe it. just do a tutorial how to do instead of cutting your hair. Yeah. <laughs> French braid, the bandana, maybe a clip every now and then yeah. to keep your hair out of your face. That's like infamous. Back when you had your Australian Open run, it was like mm. the girl with the French braid. That's when yeah. I first I was like, who's the girl with the French braid? Yeah. Who's like moving forward all on top of the baseline? I was like, she got to back up. She's like on top of every all the baseline. Yeah. And then now that's like a whole style. Yeah. I feel like uh, I feel like there's a lot of things that you know, especially for for me, someone who, from Belarus, to kind of that there's no market for us, like pretty much, you know, and the country is not very well known, and uh, so I was kind of a pioneer that way to make it like to make it, I say, famous in, in U.S. and have you know contracts in U.S., which is which is not is that easy. Um, so I always thought that. I've always been authentic, that's just who I am, but I, I thought that, oh, you know, bringing some things people followed, like I started wearing shorts, not that I'm the first one to ever wear shorts, but it wasn't coming so so far, and I was inspired by like Anna Kornikova, you know, that famous Australian actress, like, I want to play in shorts, now you see more shorts, I wanted to wear a bandana from Mary Pierce, you know, from years ago, uh. so I get inspired by other people, but I wanted to kind of bring it back with my own flair. And, and I think that was, that was pretty cool. Like, I, I always stand out with some little things from, from others. You know, one of the things that stand out, when I first started, like, sort of training in California, I saw you with your G-Wagon. Oh. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's vegan, a G-Wagon. Yeah. But it says so much about your personality, yeah. just, like, rugged. Yeah. Uh, but classy yeah. and you know sort of unique one of a kind right one of a kind like <laughs> yeah. one of a kind yeah and and i still have that uh, not the same car but it's 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 been my dream car uh. since i'm 15 years old when i was in us i mean my first thought i wanted spinners on the car because it was what it was all about <laughs> but then i was like you i mean that's just ridiculous yeah like, spinners. yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah so uh, i didn't i didn't go into that phase thankfully um uh, because you know those there there would have been photographs of that, <laughs> so I skipped that. But I definitely always that was like one of my friends, actually the family I lived with. They had this car, and I was like, "This is gonna be my car one day." So I visualized that, and I kept it. Like I love that car; it's my favorite favorite car. And uh, as long as they're gonna keep making them, <laughs> I think I'm gonna keep owning one. So we talked about the G wagon. Tell me, um, you know, when you first made it and you started getting the, the contracts and started having a lot of success, mm -hmm. what's the one big purchase where you were like, oh, this is going to hurt, but I really got to make it. I really want it. Yeah. You know, I've never been like a very crazy spender. I'm very conservative because I came from like literally nothing. So I always have that kind of chip on my shoulder because I never want to no, never want to go kind of there again. So I didn't have the craziest spend. But my first ever paycheck, I bought a car for my mom. That was my, because like they worked so hard for me. So that was, those are the moments that I think counts for me more and more fun. 
Um, but I've never, I mean, I had, I bought the watch for myself one time, but I've never went like absolute crazy. That right. was, there was, there was some, some, you know, shoe purchases that maybe I shouldn't have done, but <laughs> there was nothing outrageous for sure. I can't even see you in like expensive shoes. Now I see you in Jordans every day. It's exactly, like hundred exactly. bucks. Honestly, and I don't pay for them. <laughs> the when I just got, when like I came from nothing, so I didn't really have clothes and I always wanted to have clothes because I always had like, you know, from somebody, somebody gave me stuff, which I always appreciated, but like I wanted to own my things and now I'm doing it to everybody. But I used to travel when I was like 18, 19, 20, 20 maybe not, but I traveled with a, a, a suitcase with full of heels of oh. outgoing clothes and then there was my tennis clothes. So I have traveled with three suitcases, which was ridiculous <laughs> like looking back but now um i i don't know like I, I actually had an incident where i got all my clothes stolen so and i and then it was pandemic and i was like where am i gonna go right. so i didn't really update my my, <laughs> my closet wardrobe. that much right. so definitely things change in that perspective but yeah jordan's now and i think like the fashion is it's all about loungewear and the comfort thing so I'm gonna keep keep backing the Jordans, but which is, by the way, I had a full collection of. Like, I had I think over 500 pairs of shoes, of Jordans. I was collecting them. Jordans, like Nikes, Air Force ones, uh, Hurachis were like a big thing Hurachis. for me. Yeah. So I've had like, yeah, I think over 500 pairs of shoes. Ah. So what's the one thing that you travel with, that you just that you have to have with you no matter what country you're going to? There's one either. Article of clothing, pair of shoes, hoodie, you're like, that you always have to take with you? Um, I would say the most consistent one is now would be uh, a leather jacket. That's just one thing that I always like kind of kept with me. It was one of my favorite things that I can wear it with the sports, sportswear and I can wear it with the streetwear. So it's like one thing that kind of fits it all and super classic, it's super simple. So um, yeah, that one. And then the last question, you are obviously a people, a person that people have nightmares about playing. Oh. Draw comes out, please don't, when you were not, when you were not ranked high and not seated, it'd be like, yeah. oh my God, please, Vika, please hurry up and get seated. Yeah. <laughs> so who's the one player on tour? Not that like you, you never beat them, but they just sort of give you a hard time or tricky to play. Who's the one player that when, before the draw comes out, you're like, eh, don't want to play her. I wouldn't say that there's one player like that, um, but I think right now it's it's a bit, sometimes you you don't know which player is gonna show up, you know, cause you have some young players and some players who can play like lights out and there is no consistency. So I think that 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 point sometimes you're like, I mean, I felt pretty good going <laughs> into the match and then you, you feel like you play against another player and then sometimes you watch them again and you're like, hmm. I didn't see you missing those shots when right. <laughs> played against me. So I would say right now that, and there's a lot of young players that come come uh, now with like switching the generation that happens a lot. So, but the nightmare, mm, I mean, Serena's always been a nightmare, but in a good way. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for coming on the podcast. I look forward to watching you. Um, you're always one of the favorite players that I cheer on. Whenever you're playing, I'm turning on the TV. Yeah. To, to check because you. you're so exciting the way you move forward, the way you play the entire court is just refreshing and wonderful. Thank, Thank you so time. much. Thank you. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Tennis.com podcast. We are here with Ayla Hamianovic, the best backhand on tour, hands down. Ooh, that's a big compliment. Forever. <laughs> Come on, this is like four years ago. I told you that four years ago. I told you. That's true. I, you did say that. I did say that. Didn't I say that? Four years ago, I was like, you know you get the best backhand on tour. I was like, we're still going to try to beat you, but yeah. <laughs> make sure you don't hit a backhand at all the whole match because if you do it's like done lights out i know the longer i'm on tour the less backhands i'm hitting yeah <laughs> at least we know people are paying attention yeah 
So last time we were together was in Australia, the day after your big match against Halep. I remember you saying, oh my God, my dad like went to the wrong court and they wouldn't let him in. And then I tell us about that day. Oh, that day was just, it started out great. I was relaxed. I was playing not before seven, at seven on Margaret Court. And I had my coach with me there. We were not working together anymore. Not because of that. Um, and my dad was there, and for the first three games, they weren't there because they went to Arthur Ashe instead of Margaret Court. Long story short, I, was, I, I thought something happened to them because it was like a good 30 minutes that I haven't seen them. So after we found it funny, like actually it was the first time I laughed when they told me the story, like when we were in the car back to the, to the hotel, but that was, that was a heartbreaker, like to this day. Like that match and the one I lost to Sloan, like maybe six, seven years ago, also being up five, three and a third. I don't know, something about Australia and Margaret Court, <laughs> like we need to get on the same wavelength. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, everybody's on the wrong wavelength. Your dad was up there. But you know, it's confusing because labor. Don't even, like, I mean, like once you're, but the thing is they were on Ash sitting, think, like waiting for me. And then Osaka walks out and they're like, Oh my gosh, they changed the schedule. Yeah. <laughs> like, how do you, like, if you're sitting on Arthur Ash, you'd be like, okay, I'm on Ash. I'm not on, sorry, not Ash, Laver. Laver. I'm, if, like, I'm not, I'm on the wrong court just looking at the stadium. I know. So, it's confusing because it's the same walkway. And, like, you go right to Laver, you go, oh no, right to Margaret Court, left to Laver. No. You need to take the elevator for Laver and then you go through for the stairs for Margaret. See, you players know the secret way, but even as a coach, they don't let you go up that elevator, so then you end up having to go outside up the stairs. And you're like, okay, now I'm like running because you're already warming up. And we know how crazy you all get. See this? We know how crazy you all get <laughs> if we're not in our seats right when the match starts, sitting in the right seat. I don't like when you use the word crazy. Oh, I'm sorry. It's more just like it's passionate. Annoyed. How about that? Better. And in my mind, I'm thinking, you should be focused on the ball. Okay, but I, I give, like, I was watching a match the day before because Mateo was playing. So I was a spectator the day before, and I found it on time. So no excuses. So how do you, how do you feel spectating? Because you always think, like, you didn't do nothing. You just sat there and watched. And I'm like, it's actually more stressful because we, like, mentally know what should be happening but we can't like take the racket out of your hand and make it happen. And okay, we're like well, watching you do the opposite of what like we told you to do. So which is, which is more stressful, watching him. I'm gonna give a play. compliment to men's tennis for a second <laughs> without bashing women's, cause I think we're, we're great in our own way. But when I'm watching them play, it's like they don't do much wrong sometimes. And I'm just sitting there like kind of enjoying the tennis. Obviously I get very nervous when, I get more nervous when he's supposed to win. Like, and then he, it gets tight. But like when he's playing Novak or these guys, I'm like, well, if you win, great. But if you don't, like, I mean, you know, it's Novak. As long as it's close, it's like, yeah, yeah. It's Novak. I will be like before the final in Wimby, I was like, okay, this will be tough. But then he won the first set and my mind went like, oh, my God, he could win this. And then I spoke too soon. You know how many people have said that against Novak? They won the first time. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, I got a shot. And then you just like slowly start like a to slow death. lose hope. It's like. It's like death by a thousand cuts. Yeah. That's what I call no that. So watching it was the same. Watch <laughs> so which is easier, playing, being in full control of the outcome, or having to watch, not being in control, but being so invested in the result? It's easier to play just because you're, you know, you're, you're out there doing your thing and there's only one view you have is just you playing the match. And you kind of sometimes lose, you know, what the score is or are you going to win or not. You're very in the moment. Um, and when you're watching, there's a million things going on and you don't care about sometimes the process or the point. You just, you just want the W. Yeah. That's how I watch it. So, and that's sometimes hard because you don't always get, it's not math, right? Tennis. Right. I wish it was. <laughs> you wish it was. <laughs> it's like yeah. with chemistry. But the lead up to the match when you're going to watch someone is way nicer than your match day when you're like, you know, for me, that's the worst part in tennis. I hate like the morning of, if I'm playing late, and then waiting, and then if the match goes longer, like I'm going through all these emotions before the match, and by the time it gets there, sometimes I'm like. <laughs> I know. Then you don't know, should I eat again? Is that yeah. match gonna be quick? Is it gonna be three sets? Oh, they just split, should I eat again? Like yeah. managing the day. Yeah, is... you gotta be smart about it, because you don't wanna waste energy. You wanna, you know, you wanna be ready once it's go time. And I think that's like the biggest challenge I say is to win a Grand Slam, you gotta win seven matches in a row. 
but you also have to do seven off days perfect. Like, and everything has to go out for 14 days. And sometimes you do lose a match because you ate too early or you ate too late or you ate the wrong thing yeah. or whatever. And I think those, t you know, people winning a Grand Slam is such a rare opportunity because you rarely get like all of those things, things right. right. You know what yeah. I mean? Where you ate the right food, the right time. You know, you did. You had enough bars on the court. You didn't fall off a cliff, or you weren't sleepy because you know yeah. three or four matches went long, and now you're like taking a nap, and you just get exhausted from the anticipation. Yeah, like at Wimby, I felt like my my fourth round was a really late one on Monday, and I didn't. I mean, I was never in the second week of Wimby, so I'm thinking I have a day off, you know, the next day. Mm -hmm. And I look at the schedule, and I was like maybe second or third on center the next day and I didn't even have a full 24 hours so to process you know making the quarters and then going against Ash right in like 15 hours for me was was too quick of a turnaround where previous days I had like you know kind of my little rhythm or routine so that's one thing that you know I mean that's not why I lost not even close but <laughs> I just wish you know I had a little bit more time to mentally maybe get prepared for that match and as you said like you got to react so speak about Wimbledon, because you've been having like amazing runs now and you're like emerging as somebody that I think everybody knew always was so good, but now like feared, right? You don't know that people kind of fear you just a little bit now. <laughs> um, so what do you think like the biggest shift has been? Like the past year, 18 months, was it like having time off during COVID to sort of work on specific things? What's like the biggest reason you think for your uh, sort of rise? You know, I don't know exactly. The one thing I will tell you, when COVID hit, I actually went through like my roughest patch like last year. So when my season, I called my season after the French and I was like, I need to regroup. I actually took a month off without even playing. And I actually started working on mentally on myself a lot more consistently after that. <clears throat> Not just for tennis, just like in general. And I thought, okay, I'm going to start, you know, doing this consistently, like, weekly, and, and it's going to, like, go like that, and it didn't. I mean, I remember at the beginning of my season, I was playing good tennis, but I just wasn't feeling, like, you know, as I maybe wanted to or, or felt like I should. And then slowly I was like, okay, but I'm not going to give up. You know, every week I'm going to just put in the work, and, and slowly, hopefully, it's going to come back. And, you know, I had a great run at Wimby, but if you look at my results prior to that, it was it was a fight. Like, I had so many matches that I maybe, you know, should have won but didn't, like, story of my life. But still, it helped me get there to, you know, eventually, um, you know, get my, I guess, get my moment. And then the belief comes in and everything. But I still feel like it can go away in a second if you're not on it every week. So... That's kind of all I'm trying to do. And I think the fear from players is more that, you know, I'm not seated in slams. And, and I know they don't want to play me first round because I can, I can produce the tennis. And, and, I mean, I've been around for a while that people know, you know, players know that. So that's a good thing. But at the same time, um, I want to, you know, get back, not back, but I want to get to a spot where I'm seated so they fear me later, not like <laughs> in the first round. Right. So you talk about being seated, right, and being feared. Who's the one player that when the draw comes out, you're like, you know, they're they're on site. They're at the hotel. Draws not down. You're like, please don't let me play her. Not even that oh, you like I always. See, I have a few, but I don't want to say because I mean. You can totally say. Uh, no, because they're going to have an edge once I'm like once they see this. But <laughs> yeah, because Give us I'm one <sighs> annoying. How about this? Annoying to play. And then when the camera goes off, you're going to tell me who those two are. I can give you the type of player. Okay, tell okay. me the type. So what I don't like is someone that on their day, like, is just, what can I do? You know, like, that's just going to blow me off the court. Big serve. Okay, like, here, I play Pliskova now in US Open, and I don't know how many aces she hit. Like, I had no looks in the whole match. And then you get nervous on your serve, one, two breaks, and it's gone. And I hate matches like that where it's just kind of taken away from you because they're on. Um, so probably I just gave it away. <laughs> but to be fair, I, she's not my favorite, but I do want to play her more and more just to figure it out. You're like the third person over time that I've interviewed that said Pliskova. Like they're just, you know, because yeah. of the serve. But you got a Boothang who got a big serve. So, you know, you could like simulate that kind of pressure playing practice sets against them. Like, hey, you know what, don't let me break you. And then put the pressure on me to yeah, just a little. I can't even practice my returns with him because my arm literally hurts. Right. If I even make, like, I know where it's going. I make contact and 
it's just it's Knocked so different. Paint. Yeah, so he hits the ball so hard. He does it. Good. He hits it so big that sometimes it's not fun. But we're so competitive with each other. Like I go out there thinking I should win 211 without a serve. So and I don't. Well, if y'all go, you definitely beat him backhand backhand cross court games. Hundred yeah, percent, your backhand's but, better but, than his. But I gotta take away the slice. You, you know. Gotta take away this. Yeah. I gotta take it away. Yeah. So he's like one leg backhand, right. and then I win. <laughs> I mean, he don't want to see that. Just take away the slice. Tell him he can't run around it. That's what we do, and that's when you know I also get him on a day when he's a little mentally fragile. The Italian, you know, drama kicks in, and then I got it. So do you know how to push those buttons? I mean, see, I'm, I'm hearing like, you know, I'm hearing my wife knows like, you know, when I'm mentally fragile, knows when to come in and ask me for something or to He He knows how to press mine way better than I know because he doesn't have as many. Oh. <laughs> I have more buttons. Um, but yeah, it's just, I'm not the type. Like, I, I'm just about the game. Like, I'm not about this trash talk. So when he starts it, he will win that. Uh. He'll win a match like that. So I try to keep it away from that. Tennis only. Yeah, just tennis. So last question. Uh, Croatian via Australia or playing for the Australian national team living in Florida tell me about like your tennis journey like how did you end up all these different places so I actually lived four years in Switzerland that you didn't know when I was a kid when I was a baby and then we moved back to Croatia and I was I was this kid that loved tennis so I would like even when I was going to regular school I would wake up early, like at six, to do practices before and then after as well. So I was like a crazy kid that just loved to play. And then when I turned 13, my biggest dream was just to move to the States to just go to one of these academies because we didn't have that in Croatia. And my dad being, you know, an athlete himself before in, in team handball, he just kind of wanted to give me everything I wanted, like, you know, just to give me a chance. And he was like, you know what, okay, like we'll move. And my sister played tennis as well, but she ended up going to college and that was always her path as well. So it kind of worked out for both of us, but our plan wasn't to stay here that long. It just, you know, worked out in that way. So 15 years later, I'm, you know, Florida's my home now and it's just a perfect place for training, you know, to, as a base to travel to all these different countries that we're going to all year round and the weather's perfect. And then Australia, you know, I just, I, I did live there for a little bit, but it was tough with the travel. Um, it's hard but to I get love, anywhere in the world from Australia. Yeah, especially now. Yeah. Uh, but I, you know, I love to play for, for them and, and the people are amazing. So I just got the best of everything, yeah. I feel. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on. I always root for you. I told you, I was remember after the Hallett match, I was like, I was like up all night watching uh, every point. I was like, come on, come on, come on, step up, step up, step up. The ball's so short, the ball's so sloth. I Keep know. I, the amount of, you know, like congrats I got after that match, that even pissed me off even more. <laughs> because I do understand it was a good match yeah. and it was at that time when people were probably watching, you know, having their dinner. But, oh, just like a knife to the heart. Yeah. Like big time. But then it was nice, I was supposed to play someone good after that. And I was like, Okay, because <laughs> you'd think like after Halep you'd get like a breather. Cupcake, right? Yeah, no. No, <laughs> gets harder. Well, thank you for joining us. Good luck the rest of the year. Thank you for having me. No problem. I hope to see you soon. Same. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to the Tennis.com podcast. We are here with one of my favorite people, always my favorite tennis player, Sloan Stevens. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. You ain't excited. You, you got like five things you want to say to me to try to make this hard for me, don't you? No, not at all. I didn't really want to come, but I'm excited to be here. You said you don't want to come? <laughs> well, I thought this was a video interview. Now it's a podcast. I'm even more nervous. Sloan. 
I don't do podcasts. You know I don't do podcasts. You know it's funny. So I knew you were going to try to get out of it. And so I was going to say, if she doesn't do it, she's going to play first. And I would have been here, been waking up at, first of all, can we talk about how you don't have any lights and that you're making these girls start at 9 a.m.? <laughs> oh, my God. Come <sighs> out. Seriously? Wasn't my decision. 9 a.m.? Who are you telling? You know. <laughs> I was like, it's okay. He already said I was playing fours, so I'm, it's okay. I'm good. You know I'm sleeping at 9 a.m. Yeah, me too. And every other time. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what? Okay, no, but I wasn't trying to get out of it. I was just like, what kind of interview is Kamal? Like, what are we doing? Like, what were you going to ask me? But now I understand that it's a podcast. It's a little bit different. It's like more of a conversation. This is kind of like that show that we were going to do. They were going to follow us around and see our life. Oh, God. But it was, like, not appropriate for TV. Yeah, I'm glad they didn't do that. (laughs) We would have been in trouble, and there would have been no show. You would have made a lot of money. Probably. That would have been hilarious. (laughs) Remember that time in the Australian Open car? Yes. Oh, my God. We've had so many moments, though, that I was like, we would get paid so much money off of this. It was your fault. I was ready to do it. No, because then everyone gets to see your whole life. You could have made, you could I wasn't going to get no money off of it. You was going to get the money <laughs> off of it. They didn't want to see you. You should. <laughs> First of all, you were asleep all the time anyway. So. Time out. So you swear nobody wanted to see me. Remember that time we were in Asia and we were walking to the practice court <laughs> and the girl walked up to me with a picture of me asking for my autograph and you were like, she walked right past you and came to me. You were like, what? 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 Are you serious? Wait. <laughs> the fact that you and OG used to sign autographs was quite hilarious to me and you had like one or two fans at every tournament not a big deal but like the fact that you guys all like actually thought you were famous was a little strange see you're such a hater you don't realize the more famous you get the more famous we get when somebody win a grand slam it helps everybody that's true when i win you win a hundred percent that's why the goal's aligned that's true that's very true see there it only took me like four years to convince you of that that's so not true. We're talking, we went from talking about girls thinking you were famous and hot. <laughs> like, I don't you, think they thought I was famous and hot. I mean, you know, I still got my little skinny body, you know, that kind of wait, thing. Wait, what did the girl that. call you that one time? She called you something, and I was like, oh, my God. Ew. Something I remember. About- you were like, ugh. <laughs> <laughs> Way too many moments. Okay, no, but seriously, this is very cute. I like this setup. This is very nice. I told y'all she was going to hijack this. So, oh. uh, <laughs> okay, so I got some questions. I know the answers, I think, to most of these questions. Okay. But I ask them. But first, so you won a Grand Slam in 2017. Mm-hmm. And after that, there's been like a different one of the U.S. Open. Mm-hmm. And I remember when you won in 2017, that night I was like, oh, shit. Yeah. And I think you woke up the next morning and was like, Oh, shit. Yeah. What would you say to the new Grand Slam champion for what life is about to be like afterwards? Well, I would say there's so many different pressures, like obviously after you win a Grand Slam, but I think as the years have gone on, every new champion has had some unique thing about them that's made them have even more pressure. And I feel like the last Grand Slam, obviously, champion Emma. She's like a British national hero. She's probably going to be like knighted or Queen whatever. of England or something. Yeah, so. like the, literally whatever the knighted version of a woman is, like she's going to be that. I mean, she was on a stamp already. Like I think the pressures of winning a Grand Slam are totally different now. Um, obviously, women's tennis is a, a global sport, which is huge. And I think a lot of players have won from countries that, you know, blow up their success. And Obviously, being from the U.S., winning the U.S. Open is super cool and important and special, but I'm one of many hundreds of athletes that make a ton of money in the U.S., and it, after a little bit, like after a month, it wasn't that cool anymore, which <laughs> I'm kind of thankful for just because, you know, I was able to kind of get back to my sport and do what I needed to do. Um, when you carry the weight of a whole country, it's very different. I, I haven't had that pressure, um, but I do know that it's very, it's very tough, so... Blessings to her. (laughs) (laughs) I wish her well. I know it'll be difficult, but um, she's a great little player, and I'm sure, obviously, everyone goes through those ups and downs, though. There's, like, there's at some point you, like, kind of come back down, but there's a, it's very emotional, I will say that. 
Yeah, I was talking to Bianca, and she was like, "Ooh, I don't even want to talk about 2020. <laughs> <laughs> that next year is like... Yeah, it's brutal. It's brutal. Yeah. So now that you came on the other side of it, and now you're like the elder statesman, player counsel, somebody that looks to, or that people look up to, and like the voice. How many times do you look back at some of the young players, and they're like, you know, swagging out and doing all this other stuff, and you'd be like, keep living. Remember Thomas? Yeah. So Thomas, from his famous sayings, he's be every time he would do something, I would criticize mm -hmm. something he did. He'd be like, "Keep living, youngster. Keep living." <laughs> How many times do you look back at the at the tour now, with players who have instant success, and and maybe aren't clear on how far away fourth round is from a final, right? You got yeah. to semis of Australian Open in 13. Mm -hmm and didn't get to another final in 17. And you look at people who are like losing the third, fourth round, like, oh, she's close. I'm like, mm, not quite. Yeah, I, I honestly think the, a lot of people have like unrealistic expectations for tennis players and like their success. I feel like a lot of people think like, oh, she's hot right now. She's got to the third round or got to the fourth round, but I don't think they understand how, like you said, how far a fourth round is from a final. And, and those matches in between there and those nerves in between there and who you're playing in between there, the opponents. Like, it's a lot more than just like, oh, yeah, she can win three more matches and be there. No, that's like a quarterfinal. That's another semifinal. Like, those matches get more intense as you go, and the people that you're playing are also playing as well as you. So it's, like, it's not like the beginning rounds where it's like, ah, eh, you can probably edge some people out. Like, when you get to the, the end of a tournament, it's like, who's up here, who's stronger, and who's the toughest. And I think a lot of people don't realize that when you get there, everybody's playing good. And so it's like, oh, yeah, she could have done well or better, but not necessarily because the players that you're playing are also <laughs> playing well and are better. So, um, yeah, I think the expectations are sometimes unrealistic, especially for younger players because they think they're just going to, like, blow through a tournament. But they're also not ready to, like, kind of take that next step, which I think a lot of people don't really calculate. And then there's just like unrealistic expectation and then it's like super overwhelming and then they want to quit. It's like a cycle. As I said, it's very emotional. It's very up and down because like they just think, oh yeah, it's perfect. Everything's good. Like she should just play this game better and like she would have been, you know, in the quarterfinals. Like that's not how it works. Nah, bro. Not quite. Not quite. Not like, there's so much in between there that you have to like navigate and not only as a player, but like as we always used to say, like coaching and your team and like boyfriends and emotions and like all of these things. Like, it's not like your life just like stops because you're playing Grand Slam and you're in the fourth round. Like everything is heightened and everyone has to be on the same page. Everyone's stuff has to be in order. Like everyone has to be like, okay, like everyone has to be locked in, no mistakes. We can't forget the bars. We can't forget the drinks. We can't forget the rackets. Like we can't forget the player. Like let's go right, right. to the match. Like, there's so many elements that people just don't account for. They just see like what's on TV. And I think that that's like one of the biggest things in tennis is that they just expect the player to show up and like, that's it. And it like totally does not work that way. I remember our little pre-tournament meeting to be like, all right, we got a good draw. Everybody, let's meet. <laughs> Nobody fuck this up. Everybody be on time for the car. Don't yeah. act a fool. Be early for the car. Be early like, for the car. Be silent in let's the car. Let's be the last person in the car. We're going to eat what she want to eat. We're going to eat the time she want to eat. Send her some flowers. Everybody get with the program this right? week, right? So it's, it's not, like I said, it's not just like the player. It's everyone around you being totally in sync. Don't forget the jump rope. Don't, yeah, don't forget <laughs> the jump rope. Don't forget the soccer ball. Don't forget the Starbucks. Like, make sure that the coach has six coffees before we get in the car. Like, all of those things have to be in order, like, for real success. And obviously, all the, the chips have to fall correctly for all of those things to happen. And it doesn't, you know, no one person is winning every tournament every single week. It just doesn't happen in tennis because it's so emotional. There's so much travel. Like, there's life that happens, and especially now after the pandemic, like, good Lord. Like, there's so much happening. So, like I said, blessings. God bless. Because <laughs> you need it. You need it. <laughs> so we talked about so much travel, so much time on the road. Um, I asked you some questions just so that the fans get to know you. Uh, mm -hmm. Hotel or Airbnb? And remember, you're Airbnb with, you know, me. Like your whole team? Yeah. Oh, no. We need to stay in a hotel. <laughs> <laughs>
definitely hotel. Team dinner or eat solo? Um, I think it depends on the week, but most of the time I kind of like try to do like a few team dinners and then a few just like in my room nights because I don't want to be bothered. You're on your own for dinner. Um, yeah, you're on your own. Um, <laughs> don't go over your per diem because you're not getting the money back. And, <laughs> and I think that's like, it kind of helps like create, because you're traveling so much, it like kind of like eases the tension of having to like be with your team every day, which is like annoying. So it's nice. Roof open or closed? Like on the court or in the car? No, no. <laughs> Let me tell you, them transport vans have not got no roof. Okay? No, they so, really don't. Um, okay, on so on the court, I would say, honestly, now I would say open because it's just so loud when it's closed. Oh. Like, especially like US Open, like it's very loud when it's closed. All right, Wimbledon, court three or court 18? Court 18. That's the best court. That's the, like the little small side court, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Breakfast at Wimbledon, breakfast at Asia. Well, the food is better yeah. in Asia. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but I'd rather be at Wimbledon, so. So I asked that question and no one likes at Asia. I'm like, are y'all like, yeah, really understand no, the question? No, like, the, the food is better in the Asia. The breakfast in Asia is like, like the, the best. best thing about Asia. That's it's the a, only <laughs> way you can like stay alive in Asia is the breakfast. And then, yeah, I mean, I guess, yeah, definitely struggle Asia. struggle at night. Yeah, like, yeah, exactly. Overeat but. at breakfast and struggle the rest of the day. Yeah, no, seriously. And then you just, like, wait for breakfast the next morning. <laughs> oh. Okay, on the airplane, mm -hmm. sit together or separate? Uh, well, when you're traveling with Kamau, you need to sit separate because he will be drooling on you, <laughs> sleeping on you, snoring on you. Definitely separate. And I have so many videos to prove that. So he cannot even be like, oh, no, no, that didn't happen. Like, it happened multiple times. Bro, shut up. <laughs> bananas or bars? Ew, bars. I don't eat bananas. Live ball or basket feeding? Mm, live ball. I don't like feeding. It's, like, so annoying. Especially if you don't have a good feeder. I had you, so it was not great. <laughs> watch this and be like oh my god no, right. <laughs> Auckland or Brisbane um Auckland I really like Auckland Linz or Luxembourg neither <laughs> what she said <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh no I think Luxembourg is gone now though it was like last week yeah but I, I don't think there, it's gonna happen like oh. in the future so then I would only go Linz so Bucket list. You're one of those players that obviously is not seated now, but normally is seated, and everybody's like, please Sloan get seated so I cannot play you first round. <laughs> right? Okay. Who is the player that when a draw comes out, you're like, oh my God, please don't let me play this girl? Um, I could think of two. <laughs> um, I would say my arch nemesis. I have two arch nemesis. One of them I despise, and the other one I actually really like. You guys can figure it out. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, no, the two players that I don't love to play are, uh, I would say, Putin Seva. I don't love to play her. And then the other one is the arch nemesis of the decade, Layla Fernandez. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I would have said Nicolescu. No, but like... You just have to be so patient with her. Like, you just have to, like, you just have to be ready to be there all day <laughs> and be frustrated and break, like, three rackets, but, like, know that you can do it. <laughs> it's, like, one of those. But she's also the nicest person ever, and I love her. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, you have any questions for me? Um, how do you like not coaching? Like, what has your life been like since you haven't been coaching me? Ooh. The people want to know. <laughs> I know what happens in your life every day when you haven't been coaching me. 
<laughs> so what have you been I doing? I know, for those who don't know, me and Sloan are still friends and our relationship is full life. So <laughs> Besties for the rest. No drama. Uh, let me say, life not coaching. It's interesting. So, you know, living out of a suitcase can get a little bit tiresome. Yes. So I'm enjoying spending time with my kids. I think Jen is ready for me to go. Definitely. I said uh, that too, just so everyone knows. <laughs> <laughs> Running a tournament is hard. Yes. But it's something you've always wanted to do, though. So, like... Now that I've done it, I'd say, eh. <laughs> <laughs> You're just not... No, this is, like, the third one, though, that oh, you've yeah. had here. Yeah, I would never do three again. That was, like... A lot. Super ambitious. But, I mean, you still did it, though. Still it was for it. the community. For the community. And you got good players. Which is good. And you got a great hotel. Yeah. I was like, all right, what can we do? Pretend that I'm Sloan. <laughs> what is she going to bitch about? And how do I make it, like... Better. Hotel, walking distance restaurants, yeah. lots of practice courts, transportation, you know, no private cars because China and all the chips and stuff couldn't get private cars, but you know. Yeah. I feel like all the stuff that matters yeah, is there. Yeah, was implemented. I would say, I would agree. Uh, but I do, let me see. I do miss sort of like the sweaty armpit, like pressure of like a trying match to figure like, it out and yeah. like, Maybe not the match itself, but the night before. Like, okay. it's a lot of work. I yeah. don't know if you even know how much work goes into, no, like... No, like, scouting and all of that is, yeah. It's, it's definitely like a lot of work. Some work. Yeah. But I enjoy that work. So, I do miss, like... Now I watch tennis because I like watching tennis. But, yeah. like, it's different when you're like, all right, okay, where's your dead ball? Okay, oh, that kind of, I do kind of miss that. Yeah, I mean, it's a different type of pressure. But coaching in the COVID kind of thing, I'm like, yeah, I can sit yeah, this one was, out until COVID's over. Because yeah. that was, like... It was a lot. It was a lot, and it was a struggle. Yeah. And part of what makes traveling easier is being able to go out, experience the city, yeah. get a breather, go take your dinner. player someplace, go to dinner, yeah. having to, like, sit in your room and Uber eat. Yeah, it's not It was, fun. like, you know, a little bit rough. So okay. I'm happy to sit it out until COVID's over. <laughs> okay. And then, you know, maybe. No rush. Okay. Maybe I'll, like, come back out, whatever. Or maybe not. Or maybe I'll come back out. Okay. <laughs> so then my next question is, if you weren't coaching me, would you want to coach another female or a male? Oof. Easy answer is for sure male. <laughs> Only because I think male players, I think that they, not that girls blame the coach, mm. but I think that a male player sort of accepts the outcome like for what he's what he did right mm -hmm. i think it's like i think a coach has a less impact on the male match like on the men's yes. match because like so much serving so if someone yeah. just serves lights out it's just like i mean bro i'm sorry i don't know you know yeah whatever <laughs> right you know what i mean uh but on, on the women's match since it is a lot more rallying mm -hmm. there are a lot more patterns and a lot more impact you can have yeah and you got on court coaching yeah so i feel like from a coach it's more rewarding because you can actually impact the female the women's match more. yes men's can, match is kind of yeah. like all right do side at this point, look out for this and pray that he don't crack at 135, <laughs> right? So, I, you know, I would say it would be interesting to try a male thing, but I would say coach one. I mean, I just enjoy women's tennis more. It's more lively, I would say. It's more lively. And it's more challenging, right? Because, you know, you get to, like, coach emotions. You know, it's like 50% of the job is, like, coaching tennis and then coaching the emotions. But like we said, like, managing the yeah. whole team and the whole aspect. Okay, so after coaching me, what would you say would be one thing that you learned from coaching me? Not our, like, friendship and our relationship, but, like, just as a whole. Hmm. Now I'm interviewing him. So I would say coaching you was the greatest experience of my life. Because oh. obviously, right, third black coach catch a grand slam to coach a grand slam champion. Mm -hmm. That can never be taken away, no matter what anybody says. Mm -hmm. um, so that's that's like worth all the agony and all the pain, all mm -hmm. the sleeping videos, <laughs> and all like the arguments and five minutes of fury. Yes. Um, but I will say, what did I learn? I don't know. That's a good question. You didn't learn anything. I think I always, I mean, because I've been coaching since I was 18. So I always felt like I was like a good coach mm -hmm. and knew how to be selfless and be about somebody else. Mm -hmm. 
So I think that like was like- Like always like team. Yeah, I was always like team. Like, yo, what you need? You need sushi? Let me run and get this sushi in between second and third set. No ego, whatever. You need yeah. some tampons. I'm going, I'll be right back. You need a hair tie. I got you, whatever we got to do to wear. So I was always yes. like the selfless person mm -hmm. to do that stuff. But I would say the off court. So I would say, learn. you know, what I learned from coaching at that level, mm -hmm. it is like less about the tennis and more about managing the off-court stuff, mm -hmm. which I think at your level, when you got your whole business, mm -hmm. is difficult. Mm -hmm. And I think that everyone try, or everyone has a lane, mm -hmm. but ultimately the coach has to be in charge because all those lanes impact the match. And none of us make money if we don't win this match. Definitely. And so I think that if I did it again, it would be with a team that understood that at the end of the day, winning matches has to be the priority. And I think like, you know, our team always understood that, but I don't think a lot of teams understand that, yes, that needs to happen, but it can't happen right now. Yes. Um, so that's the biggest challenge. And I think that that's one of the reasons why you see a lot of great players never win mm -hmm. is because there's not a lot, enough control in the right places. I would agree. So that's what I will learn the most. Yeah, see, such a teaching moment, love it. Okay. Well, thank you, Sloan. Thanks. Thanks for having me. This was How fun. How many times have you had pot bellies? I haven't had pot belly one time since I was here. Kamal kickstarted my um, weight loss journey last year, and I lost 45 pounds, and I'm keeping it that way. So instead of eating pot belly, I invested in pot belly, <laughs> and I don't eat there. I will probably eat there before I leave here because it's the only time I can eat it in the Midwest. But I haven't had any since I've been here. I had RPMC food last night, which was really good. So proud of you. Yes. I'm healthy now. Well, thank you for coming on the show. I wish you luck. I always root for you. Thanks. I always want you to win. Thanks. I always be sitting there like, why'd you do that? That's the wrong place to hit that ball. You guys just wait. He's going to try to sneak his way back onto my team. Uh, so just wait for it, I'm sure. He wants I, to coach a girl. Yeah, I know you guys heard that. I could so. coach you from afar. Yeah, he just texts me what to do. Exactly. <laughs> and I'll be like, Sloan, you know that ball shouldn't have went there. And that one point right there about to cost you this match. Don't say that. That's terrible. I mean, like, in the past, not future. Okay, okay. okay. Thank you for coming well, on the show. It's been fun. I will, we will have to do it again when we have more time. I'm available. <laughs> this is the Tennis.com podcast. We have just had the privilege of being with the biggest personality on tour, Sloan Stevens, 2017 U.S. Open champion, 2018 uh, French Open champion, 2018 Miami. When did I win the French I mean, Open, Kamal? Cut when? that part out. <laughs> when did I win you the French what? Open? You know what? We almost won. I should have won. You should have won. I should have won. A set zero. But you know what? You I was, I was about to buy it. Maybe I'll win it next year. It'll be good. And I'll be like, I just spoke it into existence. Said? Yes. 2022 I was gonna, I was French Open champion. I buy me a new car. And then that slowly slipped <laughs> out of my hands. But at least his daughter will be able to go to college. And his two sons. So. She can go to college off that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me.